Let's go back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. It begins with the unfolding plan. God's, God has a plan. His plan. Now, that's important. He has a plan. He's not just like, well, what should we do now? What do you, what do you think we should do? You know, he, he doesn't react to things. He's not impulsive. You know, just, no, no. He has a plan. He has a plan. He reveals that plan. It's a plan of redemption. A plan of salvation for everyone, all mankind. And he reveals that plan. We're supposed to know what it is. <clears throat> and as we see his plan unfolding, we see another plan. We started talking about it last week. Another plan begins to unfold. That's clearly seen. Satan also has a plan. That plan is in direct opposition to God's plan. I mean, it's almost humorous at times. It's the exact opposite. It's a counterfeit plan that parallels God's plan with the opposites. But it parallels. Only the, only the bogus is all the way twisted around, 180 degrees. His plan, Satan's plan, is to derail God's plan and to discredit God's word. So the two words are derail and discredit. And it started in the garden as Satan was talking to Eve. God didn't say that. She said, well, God said that he didn't say that. And the, he didn't say that. Which is what we're hearing today. You know, they laugh at us. God didn't say that. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Satan's plans range from disruption of the prophets, of a prophetic bloodline to Messiah, the genealogies. You know, they're boring. No, they're really important. Okay, but he wants to disrupt those, those genealogies, uh, to various other ways uh, of keeping Messiah from being born, to actually uh, killing the Messiah as a baby. You saw that in, in Matthew. To stopping his sacrifice. Well, if I can't kill him, let's keep him from, from paying for our sin. Okay, that's why he came. Let's derail that. To erasing Jewish identity. Well, if we can, and that, that's important, because one of the themes, and we'll talk about more next week, the plan of Satan was if he can erase Jewish identity, Yeshua would not have been born in Bethlehem. So there's all these ways, subtle and not so subtle. And then finally, okay, if these don't work, genocide. We're going to kill them all. We're going to kill them all. We've had that, and we're going to have it again. We're going to have it again. Just when you think you're safe, you're in our directory. Just know that. Okay? Years ago, we said to people, before you sign up, just remember, the, the bad guys will know you attend here. They're not going to call you and interview you and say, are you a, a, do you not believe that and just show up because you're like, no, just know that. What, who you identify with has a, was, is a part of your destiny. Part of the good news, not today, but in the book of Revelation, which you see is some special, extra loving on people that were martyrs for Yeshua. They did give up their lives. So that's going to happen in the future. Some people will be dying. By the way, in Africa, they're dying for him now. They are executing believers right now in Africa. And their crime, they're believers. That's it. That's it. And people think, why well, can't it happen here? Well, <clears throat> the genocide. The result... <clears throat> if Satan succeeds in any way, is that there's no substitutionary atonement, no rebirth of Israel, no return to the land that God promised, no chosen people, no promised land. Simple as that. No chosen people, no promised land. God's word has been discredited. And we're still in our sins, if that happens. 
And God's word can't be trusted. If you read you go, well, that didn't work last time, did it? I can't, I can't trust him. That's the plan of Satan. <clears throat> God would be dishonored if he can't keep his own word to his own people. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants forever. He keeps saying that. You know, he goes way on a limb. Not really, because it's going to happen. He will keep every single promise he's made and to their descendants forever. That's how that reads. Some examples of the conflicts. Well, we start, we open the Bible at the beginning and the conflicts are there. Isaac and Ishmael. <clears throat> the right of the firstborn. And today we hear the cry, excuse me, but Ishmael is Abraham's firstborn. He has the right of the firstborn. Uh, where, do the, where do rights come from? Where do rights <laughs> come from? Okay, th- think about that. Who, give, who gives rights? Well, the, 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 the right of inheritance is, is the firstborn through your wife, not through somebody else, all right? But there's that conflict. And some will say, oh, no, it doesn't matter who it's through because it's just the man. But God's promise was through the woman, through Sarah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Jacob and Esau, we talked about last week, also has to do with, with the right to the firstborn, doesn't it, when you give them up? <clears throat> but then the, remember the Edomite bloodline? That came from that, that ended up in King Herod. Herod was an Edomite, and he wanted, he, uh, killed the babies in Bethlehem. Again, that, that route, the bogus route, the, the point of it was killing the Messiah if possible. Moses and Pharaoh. This is a biggie. A biggie, alright? <clears throat> this is the first case of genocide when all the male babies were going to be killed. Okay, all the male babies. No male babies. What do you get? You get uh, no deliverer. You get no Moses, you get no Passover, no blood of the doorpost, no nation of Israel, no Torah, and Torah points to Messiah, no tabernacle, which is a picture of Messiah and worship, and and the sacrificial system, no Moedim, which are all pictures of the Messiah, example, no Yom Kippur. I mean, just take take Moses out and look look what you don't have. Babylon, here's this dispersion. We took, we took you out of, of your land. We, and we destroyed your temple. That, that's what the one thing you think about is the destruction of the temple. Boy, that was the center of all activity, of worship, of teaching, of, of Jewish life. We destroyed the center of your life. You know, well, you're still here, by the way. You're, you're, st- you're here and they're not. I go down the list, you're here and they're not. Nebuchadnezzar intended great evil. But he's in the good news column a little later. Hang on. The Assyrians. Well, they had a plan of replacing the population. It's not replacement theology. It's re- replacing the people. We're going to take the Jews, put them in Assyria, and take Assyrians and put them in what is now Samaria. But what happened? That plan backfired because they say in Samaria, well, we want to be Jews. We don't, we don't want to be Assyrians. And the conflict came from that. But nonetheless... Um, the attempt, though, was to erase Jewish identity through assimilation. It didn't work. It partially worked because in Yeshua's time, there was a conflict with the Samaritans. They considered, the, the Jews of Jerusalem considered them half-breeds. They did not. They considered themselves Jews. And they practiced Torah. So the problem was with the Jews in Jerusalem. Okay? Because... The guys up north were doing the right stuff. Well, anyway, 
We still have problems with that today. Persia, Iran, of today. Okay? An attempt to kill all Jews. The book of Esther. Then came the Greeks in Antiochus. His attempt wasn't to kill Jews, but to, eventually it was, but it started off with erasing, the whole point of Hanukkah is that it was to erase Jewish identity. You can be a human being, but you can't do what Jews do. You can't dress like Jews. You can't eat like Jews. You have to have a, 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 a Greek name. No, that, that whole list. They take away the identity of a person. That was, that was their plan. All right? <clears throat> then Rome. And then we have the destruction of the temple. And this was a biggie. Uh, Jerusalem leveled and the great dispersion. This was a biggie. Israel at that point lost its statehood, its territory of land in a great dispersion. And as we go down, but by the way, just a, a point. All those things I said so far, okay, except for the Rome one, we have celebrations because we fought, we won, Hallelujah. Amen. Separate party. But when it comes to Rome, we have the ninth of Ab, which is not so much fun, huh? But then the next one is the Holocaust. Okay, the Holocaust. We do not celebrate the Holocaust. We remember the Holocaust. We have remembrance. There's nothing to celebrate. This one gets different. This one gets different. Hitler attempted complete genocide of an ethnic group whose crime was that they were Jews. That, that, was the, that, was the, that was the crime. That was the crime. Satan's plan was to eliminate the Jewish people. Stop, and by so doing, stop the promise of the rebirth of the state of Israel. Because that precedes the return of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes back to Israel, to Jerusalem, and Jews are living there at that time. Celebrating the festivals, by the way. So Satan's attempt was to eliminate the Jewish people completely and keep Israel from being reborn and keep Jews from going home. That's why the Holocaust happened. Today, history is revising the Holocaust. And some teachers are saying, it never really happened. It never happened. Again, I just want to remind you that the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, okay, Everything you see, all the documents, are the Nazis' documents. They're the ones who said they were proud of what they did. We did this. And here's the, here's, somebody's not making this up. They wrote down what they did and they signed the letters by, by name. There's some, you know, and you, know, you wonder why reaching out to Jews, especially at this time of year, can be difficult. There's one letter by the camp commander at Auschwitz that they have on display, it's under glass. And uh, he, he's urging the, the uh, uh, people who are in charge of the, the ovens and the, uh, <clears throat> uh, the gas chambers to go a lot faster because he has a quota to meet so he can be home in time for Christmas. And you wonder why, why Jewish people don't want to talk to Christians? They say, that's a Christian. He wants to get home to celebrate Christmas. And, and look at, I mean, when I look at that, I'm, I'm just hurt. I'm hurt. I mean, so we need to have a lot of love. And, and when our guide points that out, and we say, well, we're not, they weren't really Christians. It gets kind of confusing when they say they were and then they did what they did. You and I know they really weren't. But if, if you don't understand, 
it sure looks like part of our history has been repeated again and again. How can we fix that? Well, the revision part, we need to go back to the facts and, and teach people the truth. And Israel makes it easy. They have the Nazi documents. What the bad guys said, they did before you. Well, we celebrate the victories. We had in Egypt, we have the Exodus, the Passover. All right? Um, in Persia, we have Purim. I'm going to show you these later, and they, and they get better, by the way. The Greeks, we have Hanukkah. But no Holocaust celebration. It's different. What made, my question, I'm going to answer this in a little bit, in about 15 minutes. What made that so different than the others? How is that different from Hanukkah? Wasn't it the same, same kind of a theme? Kill all the Jews? And not exactly. This was different. What made it different? And how does that tie into Hanukkah? And what in the world am I talking about the Holocaust at Hanukkah for anyway? Well, well, God told me to for one thing. That's the main thing. But one of our members recently made a trip to Auschwitz. And Jeff, come up here and share with us what, how you were spoken to. Can you hear me? Um, so, um, yes, I, I was able to go to uh, Auschwitz, um, or Auschwitz, as some call it, um, when I was in Poland uh, a few weeks ago, and um, it was quite an experience. And uh, my job this morning is to share with you that uh, though we may not be able to go back and see what happened between the Greeks and the Jews in Jerusalem, we certainly can look at another type of genocide. Um, that happened most recently, and it's not a happy presentation. Matter of fact, it's quite challenging. So um, I'm not sure if we can see everything, um, but I'm going to walk you through a little bit of what I saw, and trust me, it's just a sliver of what I could uh, capture on, on camera. But before we start there, I, I just um, see if you can go to the next slide. Um, so I'm going to talk the slides through so you understand them. Um, this slide here uh, is um, two interesting things. One, on the left is a menorah that was buried, that was brought up from uh, under the ground and uh, was restored uh, because all of the uh, artifacts that um, were brought were, especially if they were Jewish, they were either destroyed or they were buried. And on the right is... Um, um, a shot of today where um, Jews have gone back to remember their families and have celebrated so um, celebrate a memorial of their families. And that is on the right side what they call Auschwitz II because Auschwitz is not just one facility. It's actually the, it's like a, a, a spoken, um, what do they call it, like a, a spoken wheel, right? You have, um, you have the hub here and then you have all of these satellite um, facilities, and we'll explain some of that. Next slide. Um, so Auschwitz is located in southern Poland, and um, I want to show. I want you to really understand this. So, um, so this is Poland right here. This is Italy down here. 
this is the, uh, the United Kingdom, Germany. So here's, here's Poland as it looks today, and Auschwitz is down the lower end near what used to be called uh, Czechoslovakia, which is right here. Um, next slide. Um, the, the property um, that I was at was over here, and uh, we have Auschwitz one, Auschwitz two, and Auschwitz three. Uh, this is like the was the original this location right here this little small little square was the original location of where they started bringing folks into, um, and then they realized they needed a bigger facility. So look how much bigger the second the labor camp is. Is that not like 15 times or 10 times the size of this little camp here? When they started realizing they needed more space to handle the influx of uh, folks. Next slide. So this is what the labor camp looked from the satellite image back in the 40s or the 50s that uh, the United States pulled down. Um, next slide. Um, basically, you can see here, this is the labor camp, and these are all barracks. And uh, when I say labor camp, it's not that they were producing very much. They were being given stuff to do, right? And um, these little boxes up here, this one and this one and this one, and uh, over here, uh, let's see, one, two, uh, four, three, one, two, three, four, and five. These are gas chambers. So uh, though there was a, a fence here, um, everybody at some point took the ride this way. Next slide. Um, so here's some text. Auschwitz once served as the administrative center. It was the site of the deaths of roughly 70,000 people, mostly ethnic Poles and Soviet prisoners of war. Auschwitz II, which I just showed you that map of, was an extermination camp. But actually, both of them are extermination camps. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, this, this camp here, Auschwitz II, was the site of the death of at least a million Jews. Um, and it began in October of 41, 1941. Next slide. Um, you can't read this, um, but um, right here um, it says um, the exact verbiage is um, Jews are obliged to identify themselves as being Jews. And the next slide says, uh, the next slide after that says, um, uh, if you don't identify yourself, you will be punished, basically what that slide says. Next slide. So here's the view from the outside. I, I supplemented my pictures with some historical ones. Uh, this is, uh, you, you, you think this is something other than people. It's not people. It's actually belongings of people that are thrown there. And these are the train tracks leading in. Um, this is a picture from the inside. And when I walked through this gate, I came inside and I took this picture. You can see kind of the fences and the wire. Next slide. Here's a nice historical folks. Arriving at Auschwitz, not knowing what to expect or why I am here. Um, one of the things that they did a great job teaching you when you go there is that you were taken on a train ride and you brought all your belongings and you didn't know where you were going. You didn't know why you were going. You just were told to go and you went. And they are arriving here and they came with suitcases of stuff, pots, pans, everything that they think that they would need to survive on. Next slide. This is the famous um, entry gate. Next slide. Um, 
it says and, and it's translated labor makes you free which um which is a lie right next slide um as you walk through that gate you take a look to your left you'll see that um there's a double fence a fence and another fence and there are often guards or animal dogs here and all of these wires are electric wires so anytime you see um um wires at any of these camps you know these um any type you see the wires, they're, they're electrified. So lots of times the people be standing back on it, right? Because you don't want to touch them. Next slide. Um, so a couple of signs there. The corpses of the prisoners that were shot while trying to escape that type of, a, uh, of security were displayed as warnings to others. So when you walked in, you took, looked to the left, and you saw you know, the fence. And they would lay the bodies on the, uh, along the ground of those that tried to escape as a warning that you are not going to do this. You're not going to leave. You're going to stay. Next slide. Um, and that's where they would lay the bodies, right there. That sign is actually right there to the left. They would lay them all the way down. Next slide. And on the right side, on the opposite side, was this building right here. Um, next slide, which is that building right there. And you can go back again. Um, and they would be playing music, and they would honor the incoming military uh, elites with, you know, music, and they would walk by and they would see the bodies there, and they would know that uh, things were successful, right? And uh, it usually where it was um, uh, German, um, uh, what they call it, matriarchal band music, but also they would also play death marches at the right time. And um, one of the things that they were really good at and uh, you'll see this later on, was being able to torment you by not allowing you to see what was going on, but allowing you to hear it. So lots of times you would be walking around, and I, mean, and I was in one of the buildings, and they're all, each building is dedicated to a different nation, and each nation has come in and has funded to uh, do a museum in honor of the people that died from their state. So Italy has their own, the Netherlands has their own, Poland has their own. Each of the buildings was restored for a museum to honor those folks. But they, uh, I was walking through the building, you could hear like things grinding, like really loud, like, oh, gee, someone's doing construction work. But after a while, you realized, no, that's like, uh, like a chainsaw, and it was just kind of a noise in the background to intimidate you. You know, it was really kind of, it was really eerie. Next slide. Next slide. Um, Polish, uh, in this case, a Polish prisoner escaped. Family members were arrested and sent to Auschwitz. They were made to stand under a sign announcing the reasons of their arrest. So they like to humiliate people as much as they could humiliate you. Next slide. Um, this is kind of what the facility looked like. This is not the big labor camp. This is the uh, uh, Auschwitz one, they would say, which was the labor camp and turned into an administrative center. Um, and I where I have it in there, but somewhere in there, Auschwitz was composed of 47 satellite facilities um, that were not in Poland. So in other words, remember I was saying about the spoke and the wheel? The spokes reached out to all of these other areas around Europe. And it reminded me of this scripture, and I'm not allowed to preach, but I'm just going to just read this one scripture that said here in Deuteronomy, listen, to Deuteronomy 30. Uh, verse 3, it says, And the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you from all of the nations where the Lord has scattered you. And they were scattered and they were brought, but not brought for restoration, right? They were brought for genocide, the wrong reasons. Next slide. And 
each one of those facilities has been restored. Um, and this, in this case here, this is um, this is the persecution, de- the deportation of the Jews from the Netherlands. So that this one building is a memorial to all the Jews, and there were more than just Jews, but for the most part, all the Jews from that one nation. Next slide. So each building is pretty much similar. Um, they are not luxury suites, I'll tell you. So you walk in and you see this corridor with a gate in the back, and the first door on the left, take a look, next slide, is the courtroom. So even just living in your barracks, you could go to the courtroom and be subject to punishment. Um, and the courtroom basically didn't consist of very many people. Next slide. Um, and the accommodations weren't that great. So these folks here were people, um, were, they, they lived either in sleeping bags, hay, dirt, or if they were serving in some capacity uh, it, to support the administration, they were given uh, bunks. But most people lived um, in sleeping bags or hay. And in many cases, they lived in the basement and in many cases, they lived worse than animals. Next slide. This is a view outside one of the windows. Um, and you can see out the window, you, you see the gate and you, you, the wall, the security fence. Next slide. And then they came with, they came with artifacts. And this, this slide here shows a tallit here. This is a tallit. And this here is a Bible right here. looks like wood, but it's a Bible. And um, I can't tell what this is right here. Something in Hebrew right there. Uh, okay, so um, I can't. Okay, so um, they they were able to save that. Next slide. Somebody brought tablets with them. Next slide. Um, these are these are menorahs, and uh, I've never seen a five candle menorah, but there's a menorahs, I guess, and they were buried and they were rusted and all. Uh, Tarnished, and they and they and they restored them and put them on display. Next slide. There's another one. Um, more Jewishness there. Um, next slide. Somebody brought uh, a rolling pin. Next slide. And then everything that you wore on you got removed. Like all this here is like crutches and back supports and different things that people had, appendages that needed to stay on them. They were piled up. They were taken away from them. Um, up here, you know, these are hats, you know, coats, boxes, luggage, everything just piled, taken away from them. Next slide. This slide here is really um, amazing. Um, you really can't see it well, but um, this is like... Um, uh, powder brushes for men when they shave and both uh, leather for their shoes and uh, toiletries and different things. And let me give you an idea how big this picture is. Um, this room is about the size of the, that. That picture is about the size of this room. And that pile is about a little bit higher than this ceiling. And it's just a big old mound, a mound of all the belongings they took from people. And there's other shots that I did not take of, you know, kids' shoes, you know, little boys' shoes like Vinny's shoes, just piles of them, piles of them, millions of them, and they saved everything. And that's another thing about the mentality behind this was that 
They love to document the destruction, and they love to let people know, and they love to save everything as a trophy. Next slide. So, okay, so you really can't see this one here. I'm going to read this one to you because this one's very, very disturbing, but I, I want you to get the feel for it. So block 11, the standing cell. And you really can't see it, but there's their doors and their rooms, and it's not. They deliberately left it the way it originally was. No paint on the walls, cracked walls, um, all cement, you know, not cleaned up. I'm just going to read you a little bit about this block 11. Block 11 was the prison within the prison where violators of numerous rules were punished. Some prisoners were made to spend the nights in standing cells. These cells were 16 square feet, and four men were placed in them. They could do nothing but stand and were forced during the day to work with other prisoners. In the basement underneath Block 11 were located the starvation cells. Prisoners incarcerated here were given neither food nor water until they were dead. In the basement, the cells were so dark that they only had a very tiny window and a solid door. Prisoners placed in these cells would gradually suffocate as they used up all the oxygen in the cell. Oftentimes, the SS would light a candle in the cell deliberately to use up the oxygen more quickly. Many were subjected to hanging with their hands behind their backs for hours, even days, thus dislocating their shoulder joints. So not a very humane location. Next slide. Right next to that building is this building, the extermination building. And, you know, they had doctors that tried to do experimentation on people and not even don't want to get into it. But you go into that building and there's pictures in that building that you just cannot believe exists. You just can't believe it. Next slide. And every one of the buildings has walls of pictures. I have a video that I wasn't able to show that um, I took on my iPhone, and it looks like this black wall. And I just took the video of the black wall, and then I just kind of walked towards the black wall like this. And the closer and closer and closer I got to the black wall, it was just loaded with names, 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 just millions and millions of names. From about five feet, though, it just looks like a black wall. But it's just every, it's just names. It's just amazing. And um, in the corridors of all this are the, fam the, the people and family members still come and, and put memorials on their family members. Uh, next slide. This gentleman was born in 1907. He died in 1943. So he was kind of my, he was my age. Somebody remembered him. Next slide. This guy was born in 1920. He died in 1940. Next slide. Just countless photos. Next slide. Here's a historical photo that I that I liked um, to add. This is how they dressed them, and they never touched them. The military folks, they didn't touch you. They didn't touch you because you were dirty. I'm clean. You're dirty. So we would never touch each other. Next slide. Um, Here's a side on the top. They're, they're, they're in front of the barbed wire. But on the below down here, um, they have a display. You can see all the faces. And uh, you can see the barbed wire. 
and then they put the bodies where they would be standing as they walked to what they would call the crematorium. Next slide. Downstairs in the basement of these buildings, the guards would be on the inside of the building and the and the, the Jews or the people that they were getting rid of were lined up like cattle inside these little roads. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fence here and they're all electric wires and this is in the basement and they would cattle the people to their next destination. And next slide. And you can see how they got the faces up there. And you can see how there are two rows of people, one here, one here, and they're just cattling them. Next slide. And they're cattling them to here, to this place, the crematorium. Um, there's not much to it. Next slide. When you walk into it, you can't read this, but there's... Um, there's a, uh, 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 a tombstone. It looks like a tombstone, a memorial there, a granite memorial. And it says, you are entering the facility where uh, countless thousands of people have died. And they say, you know, shut your phone off, be respectful and be quiet and so forth. And President Bush uh, was there a couple years ago and there's a picture of him, him in there. Um, so they're asking, so it's a memorial to, to, the fo- to the people that died. Next slide. And you come around into that room, and now beyond that memorial, uh, that stone, is this big empty room, which is just the way it was, because people were in here. You know how when you go to Disneyland, you line up to get into, you got you all got the zigzag? Well, that's basically how they had it here, but they had um, soldiers, you know, guarding you, and they were kind of in here. Next slide. And somebody put, somebody put a memorial there, too, and this is just kind of like a waiting area. And again, again, you got to think of not just the imagery, but the sounds. They're in this room and they hear, but they don't know what's going on. They can't speak the language, so they're not quite sure. And there's only one little door to take you from this room until the next room. Next slide. You walk through this little door, and then here is where the crematorium actually is. Um, and you can't really see it, but basically, um, go to the next slide. Basically, um, this is like a little train, and these are tracks. And people would come, and they would just line up, and they would lay you on the, on this little, like you were going into a CAT scan. Anybody ever been in a CAT scan before? So, But instead of just kind of going in, I mean, you were head to toe, and you were just going in. Next slide. And you can't really see this either, but this is an oven right here, and this is where the people are going into they get on this little train, and they just go into this oven. Next slide. Maybe the next one's better. No, we can't see that one either. Well, you can kind of see a little bit here. There's a door here and a door here. But, I mean, it was just nonstop all day long. Next slide. Yeah, so during the first three years, two million people died. Over the next two years, three million. Next slide. And, there, and those are uh, urns. Those are ashes in there. Next slide. Another good quote I I saw there, I I recopied. Sometimes I am asked if I know the response to Auschwitz and the answer that I not only do, I do not know, but I can't imagine, but I do not even know if a tragedy of this magnitude has a response. Next slide. 
There's a shot of the gas chamber, which is next to it. And then they, it, the gas chamber and the crematorium shared this one smokestack. Now, I'm just showing you one facility. There was like eight of them just like that. There was five at one camp, several over here, several at the other facility. Next slide. Then um, between the buildings... And I say notice the windows because all the windows here are boarded up, but the tops are open. So the air can come in and you can kind of look up, but you couldn't see out. And everybody that, um, everybody that didn't, everybody that was decided that they weren't going to wait to put you through the crematorium, they were going to kill you on the spot, were taken to this wall right here called the death wall. And basically that's where they just, Brought you up there and shot you. Next slide. So there's people had brought things to uh, to remember their family members that were shot at this wall. And again, you couldn't see out the window to see what was going on, but you could hear, and you can you know you know you get that right. It's like very tormenting. Next slide. Um, this one here says um, this was on the wall. I'm trying to. It says forgetting them means letting it happen again. Next slide. Just more pictures of uh, of in processing. You could say they love to in process people. Next slide. Next slide. Four million people suffered and died in the hands of the murderers. And the liberation was January twenty seventh, nineteen forty five is also uh, a holiday. Okay, next slide. Oh, this is a great quote. I found this, and I'm not a big Maher fan, but I wanted you to read it. Um, there is just not another country in the world that would allow missiles to be rained down on them without fighting back. What I find so ironic is that after World War II, everybody said, I don't understand Jews. How could they have just, how could they have just gone to their slaughter like that? Okay, then when they fight back, I don't understand the Jews. Why can't they just go to their slaughter? That's what people said. Now, let's read what he says underneath here. It says, you know what? Um, I'll tell you what. I can read it from my phone because I got it on my phone. It's a little bit better than that. That slide is brutal. Okay, check this out. He says, it's like, you know what? We did that once. It's not going to happen again. You're just going to have to get used to the fact that Jews now defend themselves and, by the way, defend themselves better. And my last slide is the great one here. Um, so though, the, though these bad things have happened to the Jews and there's people that really want to do genocide again and that deny the Holocaust, this slide is great because God's got them in the back. Amen? That was the really bad news. That was in my lifetime. And the religion, humanism, man's getting better and better, right? Came from Germany. Well, how about some really good news? Want some really good news? Why are we, why are we doing this anyway? Why did that happen? Okay, the other ones we celebrate. 
Hanukkah, we won. Purim, we won. Right? No celebration here. What's the difference? Remember I asked that question, what's the difference? Here's the, here's the difference. There was no Israel. There was no homeland. There was no place. There was no country. Jews were not in the same area, the same place, but scattered all over the world. That's the difference. At Hanukkah, they were in a country, they were in one place. They could unify together, organize, and fight back. Not there because there was no Israel. Uh, at Hanukkah, even though things didn't go right, there was a temple. It was desecrated, but they could fix it. But here, they had nothing to defend. They were here, here, here. Nothing to defend. There was no place of safety. They needed the place. Jews need a place of safety. It's called Israel. God promised them that piece of land. Well, so we preach that all the time, right? And we ask for the miracle. Maybe we should listen to some miracles that have happened. We want prayer, repentance, and a change of heart of Israel's enemies. A miracle. At Hanukkah, we all, in all the other festivals, we remember miracles. Every single one. It's a miracle. What's the miracle? Here's the miracle. In Egypt, when we left at the Exodus, what was one of the miracles? How about the mixed multitude? A bunch of Egyptians said, I'm with you. They changed. Their heart was changed. In Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, God raised up, in all these cases, a Jewish prophet. In all these Situations: a Jewish prophet was raised up. In Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar declared that the God of Daniel, the captive, the captive guy, the God of Daniel is the only God there is. Read, read his proclamation. Read his proclamation. He came to faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the midst of darkness, and we're kind of getting there again, aren't we? God raises up Jewish prophets to declare God will have the final word, not them. Hitler thought he had the final word and the final solution. You're here, he's not. In Babylon, it was Daniel that was raised up. In Persia, it was Esther, Queen Esther, that was raised up. You all remember the raid on Entebbe, Uganda? Remember that? That's a great movie. We should get that and show it to you. For Palette, what happened was, in 1976, <clears throat> uh, Air France flight was leaving uh, Tel Aviv for uh, Paris, <clears throat> and uh, it stopped for re- refueling in uh, Athens. In Athens, uh, four Palestinians got aboard and hijacked the plane. They took it to Benghazi. You all know where that is, don't you? In Libya. They refueled with, uh, you know, with the blessing of, of the Libyan government, and flew to Uganda. Idi Amin was the dictator for life. Well, it ended up he wasn't. That's what he thought. And he supported the Palestinian cause. They separated people who were not Jewish out. There was about 100 people left who were Jews, mostly Israelis. And they had a short window, a little window, before they would kill them all. And then uh, they planned in one day this attack on Entebbe. And when you read the accounts... They only had time to plan 2%. Okay, 98% of it was by the seat of their pants once they got there. All right? They had a successful raid on Entebbe. They destroyed 30 Russian MiGs, rescued all but two of the people that were there. One was not there. One was in a hospital. 
She was a 78-year-old woman that was executed by the Ugandans. <clears throat> and it was led by Yoni Netanyahu. Benjamin Netanyahu's brother was the head of the commando squad, the leader, and he was the only Israeli casualty. He was shot and killed. So Netanyahu has some blood <laughs> that he, he, his family has lost over these issues. And the whole issue was that none of the other African countries would allow Israel to fly over them. or just, They had to refuel somewhere. And all, all the countries said no, except one, uh, Kenya. And we've told you the story before about our neighbor in Israel was a doctor who helped the president of Kenya, brought healing to him. And uh, Yitzhak Rabin calls her on the telephone and says, can you help? Can you help us out? She finds favor, just like Queen Esther, and Kenya allows them to stop on the way back to refuel. When, that, when they found out about that, uh, Idi Amin executed hundreds and hundreds of Kenyans. All right? So we, we think in terms of Uganda as an awful place. They hated Jews. They, they, they allowed the Palestinians to capture and kidnap people, bring them there, hold them hostage, and kill them. Okay? That's, that's what we think of when we think of Uganda, right? Is it? Is it? I'd like to read you something. And we're praying for our country. And I'll tell you something really red-hot news in about a minute. But did people got mad at Idi Amin, and there was hate. But there were also some prayers for the people. You see, the people are subject to what the leadership does. So you need to pray for the leadership so the people won't be killed. Well, that's what happened. Many missionaries began to pray for Uganda and the people of Uganda and proclaim the, the truth. Listen to this. The current president of Uganda just like two weeks ago gave this speech. I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> it's the president. By the way, our prayer is that our president will give this speech. Father God in heaven, today we stand here as Ugandans to thank you for our country. We are proud that we are Ugandans and Africans. We thank you, we, we thank you for all your goodness to us. I stand here today to close the evil past, especially in the last 50 years of our national leadership history. We are on the threshold of a new dispensation in the life of this nation. I stand here on my own behalf and on behalf of my predecessors to repent. We ask your forgiveness. We confess these sins that have greatly hampered our national cohesion and delayed our political, social, and economic transformation. We confess sins of idolatry and witchcraft, which are rampant in our land. We confess sins of shedding innocent blood, sins of political hypocrisy, dishonesty, intrigue, betrayal. Is that only in Uganda? I don't think so. Forgive us the sins of pride, tribalism, sectarianism, sins of laziness, indifference, irresponsibility, sins of corruption, bribery that have eroded our national resources, sins of sexual immorality, drunkenness, and debauchery, sins of unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred, revenge, sins of injustice, oppression, exploitation, sins of rebellion, insubordination, strife, and conflict. He's covered, huh? These sins and many others have characterized our past leadership especially in the past 50 years of our history. Lord, forgive us and give us a new beginning. Give us a heart to love you, to fear you, to seek you. Take away from us all the above sins. 
We pray for national unity. Unite us as Ugandans and eliminate all forms of conflict, sectarianism, and tribalism. Help us to see that we are all your children, children from the same Father. Help us to love and respect one another and to appreciate unity with diversity. We pray for prosperity and transformation. Deliver us from ignorance, poverty, and disease. As leaders, give us wisdom to help lead our people into political, social, and economic transformation. We want to dedicate this nation to you so that you will be our God and guide. We want Uganda to be known as a nation that fears God and as a nation whose foundations are firmly rooted in righteousness and justice to fulfill what the Bible says in Psalm 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, a people you have chosen as your own. I renounce all the evil foundations and covenants that were laid in idolatry and witchcraft. I renounce all the satanic influence of this nation. And I hereby covenant Uganda to you to walk in your ways with, and experience all of your blessings forever. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Boy, I'm praying our president pray that prayer right there. The guy that hated us, that wanted to kill us, God took care of him. And a, mir- a great miracle happened. This is now the country of Uganda. A total reversal. God can do a miracle. We need to pray for our country. We're on the threshold. Okay, on the threshold. We need to pray for our country and for what's just about to happen. What's just about to happen. Well, hot off the press. Remember the, the really good news? Here you go. The chaplain of the House of Representatives along with many senators and congressmen, are having a prayer breakfast at the Marriott Hotel, Washington, D.C., at 7 a.m., January 21st. That's Inauguration Day. <clears throat> that's, a, that, that's your prayer request. Hang on one second. <clears throat> the purpose is to pray for our nation and for our president. These are uh, our senators, our congressmen, the, the chaplain of the, of the House, Okay. And to pray for the president. He's invited to come. Pray that he will. The speaker. <clears throat> Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He's the speaker. Because of this book, The Harbinger, which outlines America's last chance that God is about to pass judgment on us for not doing what Uganda did. They read his book. Now, this, it's monumental that he's even going to be invited, a messianic rabbi, to come to the, the inaugural prayer breakfast. That's a prayer request. They like his book. I, there can be a, a total turnaround. I mean, we, we write the thing up. Oh, we lost the election. God lost the election. I hate everything. You know what? Pray for a total turnaround. The, the repentance. This book. Okay, we, we're out of this book. But Ron is going to tell you how to get it really soon at a discounted rate. You need to read this book. Now, that invitation is incredible. Just incredible. So pray that he would be there. I mean, that, that they would listen to what he says and the, those who haven't would read that book. Because the theme of the book is, this is America's last chance right now. That God has always had a plan and a purpose for this country. But we've gone outside of that. We've gone outside of it. That God's grace, by the way, here's, this is me speaking. When I, when I look at our country, I have to say, you know what? God has more grace than I do. You know, I, I would have put the end to things a long time ago. 
Okay, but God has more grace than, than me. The theme of the prayer breakfast is from sea to shining sea. God shed his grace on thee. So I want us to pray for our country, for its leaders. We're going to be there. Pray the president comes and hears this message from a messianic rabbi. Prophetic. A prophetic message about this country is in that book. We're on the threshold. Which way are we going to go? See, if you have written it all off and say we're, we're done, then you don't believe in prayer. Because we can pray it the other way. Okay? Look at Uganda. That is amazing. That, that's absolutely amazing. Pray for a spiritual breakthrough at that breakfast with our leadership. You know, they cannot vote the, the president. Okay? All right? Pray that the president shows up and comes to faith in the Lord. Pray that the president repents. That's a good prayer. They're going to pray that. You know, Nebuchadnezzar did. He repented. He confessed his sins publicly in writing. Pray our president will do that. The same miracle that happened in Uganda. Can you pray for that? You know, we're about to celebrate tonight. We start, we light the first candle. Pray for a rededication of our country based on the values from which it came. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. When you go to Washington and read the stuff that they wrote, it, it's awesome. It's, it's like the prodigal son. We've gone astray. I think what Jonathan Kahn is saying is God is calling us for the last time. Come home. This is our last chance. But your prayers can make a difference. Pray for a rededication. That's the theme of Hanukkah, of our country to God and of its leaders. A rededication of our nation to its original values. And I pray that on Inauguration Day, when our president opens his mouth and addresses the country, that we can together say a great miracle has happened here. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. We look at what happened in time past with, um, with Babylon, you know, the evil that was there. And, and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, listened to the prophet Daniel, a Jewish prophet, and he came to faith in the God of Israel. So be it now. Or uh, the leadership of Uganda was way past corrupt. They were evil to the core. They have repented, done 180 degrees, and publicly made known their stand on Scripture. Lord, I pray that would happen with our country. That we would do our part and lift these events up in prayer. And believe you in prayer that you, that a great miracle can happen here still. Instead of complaining about what's going to happen, I pray we would rejoice about what you can do. And I pray that you would restore our nation. That as we talk about a rededication at Hanukkah, we would remember that our nation needs to be rededicated to you from the, from the roots of, of which it came. It was based on Scripture. It was based on godly men of prayer. And you have always had a plan and a purpose for this nation. I pray it's not going to end. I pray we will fulfill what the calling is for this nation. We, we, had, a, we had a hand in stopping the Holocaust. We, we had a hand in the Raiden and Tebby. That was July 4th, the 4th of July. 1976, it happened on our 200th anniversary and we gave them the equipment. Lord, you've used this country to bless Israel. So be it. I pray it would continue. I pray you would open the eyes of those uh, uh, of our leaders. And we were, what Jeff was talking about, the, the, the missiles coming into Israel, they will see that no other country except Israel would have that restraint. And that our country would turn around and bless 
Israel and bless Jewish people. Lord, I pray for that great miracle. And we look to you in this time. And, and like, like uh, they said back in the, in, in, in the days of the early kings of Israel, Lord, we confess, we can't do anything. So we look to you. And we want you to do something big, a miracle for our country. Lord, I thank you for Jonathan Kahn and his insight prophetically into what has happened in our history and what's happening right now. And I thank you for those congressmen and senators that have read his book and believe it and want to proclaim it. And all that does is it takes us back to your word, to the promises that you have made, and the accountability that we have before you to be men and women of prayer who believe your word and do your word. Lord, I pray for a miracle on January 21st. I pray that as our president stands up to give that speech, it won't be the one that's scripted. It won't be the one that, that's on the uh, little uh, signs, <laughs> whatever those are. I pray it will be your, your heart being expressed in repentance and a return to the values that made this, this a great nation at one time. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In Yeshua's name, amen.